one Saxon Repirom. Nice to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the thanks time. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time out of your super busy schedule. Um, you're like you do so many things and you you run so many projects that I'm just amazed by like how you manage to have any time at all. Um, for people out there who don't know what you do, um, uh, I want to let people know that you started out with a nonprofit um, called Sati, which is your your main baby. Would I say that? Um, I guess so. Yeah, let people know like what who you are and and how you started and what Sati is about. Um, I guess uh, the easiest way is. Uh, um, to talk about like how everything started when yeah. it was Sati. Uh, so I guess like, people call me like a social entrepreneur uh, because uh, you know there's a nonprofit part and try to kind of combine those all together. So I started with Sati. Uh, Sati is kind of like a, I guess like a lifelong dream. So I grew up uh, uh, social, you know, doing a lot of social projects, volunteering. My family was always very like socially involved. So I, ever since a young age, I um, as long as I can remember, like, I, you know, when we were younger, my parents would take me places to see, like, different communities and stuff. And then when I got to high school, uh, you know, it, it, I, was, I grew up in the States, so I was in East Coast, New York, and New Jersey. So we like, can volunteer, we volunteer after school, volunteer hospitals. And remember in high school, I used to uh, volunteer at a hospital, and uh, it, was a, it was an AIDS ward, so HIV ward for young kids. So, uh, you know, I wasn't a doctor or any medical person, so the only thing I could do was, like, play with them. So, so I would do two things, do arts and crafts, I would teach them arts and crafts, and then um, here's a Nintendo back then, like a, like a cart, Nintendo cart, so I would go from room to room and then play video games. So, so I mean, like, even, you know, once college came and then everything, so I've always um, been interested in, in that. And, and, uh, and everything from, from like, uh, street kids to the environment to, to healthcare, it was all that stuff that I was interested in. So I, I always thought, you know, eventually when I was uh, I was capable enough, I would try to I was start a nonprofit. Yeah. Just I think traditionally people kind of think about nonprofits or foundations started by like rich people, like Bill Gates or something like you know you you work 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 you make a lot of money and then you kind of donate it. Um, I think I mean I think that's a great model if you have that opportunity. But um, you know, as it became clear and clear to me that if if I waited for that opportunity, it might not ever come up. So uh, about seven years ago, um, when, when I finished school, I came back to Thailand, and I started Sati, you know, with, with no money, but with, with an idea and passion, and just kind of slowly. Grew. The goal is always for it to be grassroots, so like small, you know, small communities, small villages, um, you know, work, work, work on, with the communities. So I started there years ago, small projects. So we do healthcare education for underserved youth. So most of it is uh, workshop-based. So we work with two groups of kids. Uh, the kids in the countryside, uh, which are underserved, so low-income families, farming families, tribal tribal schools. And in Bangkok, we work with adverse youth. So kids in uh, drug traffic, uh, sex trafficking, drug abuse, uh, runaways, street kids, we work with those two groups. The reason why we work with two groups is because I believe in uh, prevention as well. So, you know, you're in the countryside, you, you develop, you know, it's about preventing medicine, teaching them, you know, what their options are, preventing for them to be the, we don't want them to be the kids who will eventually run away. So how do we prevent that and how do we get, you know, prevent? But then just because these kids have already, you know, turned turn down the wrong path, doesn't mean we should forget about them. So that's not kids in the background. So it's trying to combine both. It's kind of like a circular, if you see this at the logo, it's like, last ask me, it's like a circular, I don't have it on, but actually, 
That's my background. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but it's, it's a circular, circular diagram, like abstract diagram, where people are like, what does that mean? I'm like, it's a circle with like a stick on it. Uh -huh. it's, uh, and it's very crooked. So it's basically what you give to the earth goes back to you. But we live uh -huh. in a very unperfect world. That's why the, the logo is very. Actually, it's right on my head. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It reminds, it reminds me of like the the old idea of like um, yin and yang, order yeah. and chaos, like, or the idea that like a fruit, um, a fruit drops from a tree, falls onto the ground and starts rotting. That's the, the fruit moving yeah. into chaos. And then when that fruit completely rots and the seed is left, the seed starts to eat the ground and grabs nutrients from the ground to grow roots and that's it move that's yeah. that's like the the middle point of it going between order and chaos and then a plant yeah. grows out of that and we're back into the order and and that's like a like a, a pattern that you see all through the universe within and yeah. within yourself and and everywhere you see I like yeah, that. It's like, you know, with, with these kids, uh, like it's, I mean, I would say healthcare and education because it's broad and it's, it's intentionally broad because there's many things that are involved in that, you know. So like, but but if we want to get really deep into it, the, the, the two main goals are two things. You know, one is options. These kids, uh, a lot of the kids maybe, uh, they grew up on a farm, which which is not a bad thing. Farms are great. I love farms. Mm. But you know, a lot of times have been given choices. So so maybe they don't they want to do other things. So it's like one build giving them choices of what, what you can do. You know, uh, and what you have to do to get to that choice. If you want to be a barista or an artist or a chef or an astronaut, that's what what do you have to do? Yeah, so we have some scholarship kids who support in that direction with creativity. Then trying to you know get them to that point. And then and then there's the, the self value part. So so the kids the kids in Bangkok, a lot of them that have been working with uh, you know they they're from really, really rough communities. So, I mean, uh, sometimes it's not always a choice. If you grow up and, and you're surrounded by drug abuse and prostitution and, and just that's the, what your community is like, that's your norm. It's not, you know, it's not the community I grew up in, that's not my norm, but it doesn't mean it's not normal. Yes. Normal is only normal within your, yes. in your sphere. So, so they, they, they don't, they see that that's their normal, so that's, they see that's, that's what they have. One, that's, that, that's the only options they think they have. Two is like, um, so let's say we, we run a we, we run a weekly uh, kind of like a pop up clinic for average use in Wollongong, and it's a lot of counseling and uh, working with young kids in sex uh, sex, uh, sex trafficking and sex working. So if if we were say, if I were to say you know you shouldn't go, we don't we never say no. I can't I can't tell you what to do. It's your body. But what I what I can do is tell you what happen are your risks. You know, if you're not protected, you can get you know uh, you know what what are your risks? You know, I can't physically force somebody. Uh, we have to open up first, so we tell them the risks, and then when they are open, then they will say, you know what, I don't want to be doing this, you know, and then, okay, well, but but what are your options? If you work at, you know, 7-Eleven, you know, all day, 10 hours, you get minimum wage, and Thailand is 345, you know, that, if that's about $10. If you uh, work at, you know, you sell your body in 15 minutes, you get 1000 baht. So, so how do we, which you know, is in a about, world that's already Which is about $30, for those who don't know. Yeah. 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 So how do you how do you how do you say hey you know what go work ten hours make you know so much less and don't do that you know how how, how do we you know how do you, how do you convince a child that's been abused 
been raped, been just physically and mentally abused their whole life. So we have to, you know, it's about self-esteem. You know, we, we wouldn't abuse our bodies positive reinforcement. We've got enough positive reinforcement to, to make sure that we, we don't want to do that to ourselves. So we have to, these kids have had negative reinforcement their whole lives. They've been abused, they've been, you know, people say they're worthless, or they have no positivity in their mind. So we have to build that up. You know, that's through our workshops, whether it's art, creativity, using anything, anything that can build positivity and skill sets so they can get up to a norm where they can choose. Mm-hmm. It's not about getting them up here, it's about getting them just up to a basic norm, a societal norm, you know, where, where they say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm more, I have more value in this, I can go work hard, I can take my GED, I can do this, I can do that. Mm-hmm. It must be hard. It must be hard to create a non-judgmental atmosphere for these kids as well. Um, to be able to be open up to talk about these things um, to strangers. Um, how do you go about that? A lot of it is time. You know, like I, some of the kids, every kid is different. You know, some kids say they want to talk to you. you know? Some of them are six months, three months. One, 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 one teenager asked you know, to me like six months before you say a word to me. I felt like you were going to come and you know, jump me when, you know, in the water. He was very like he had this hard looks at me all the time, but you know, but that's their protection mechanism. Yeah. You know? they, their whole life they've been, they've been mistreated. Mm. So why would why would they trust anybody? Yeah. So, so a lot of it's time and then connection. So so the reason why we do these activities is many reasons, but one of the reasons is to to get kids to open up. You know, you know, we talk about we take it to, we do photography classes. We talk about the pictures, and those pictures express their feelings. Why, why are you taking a picture of this this dark cloud or this that, that, that that's an open up conversation? Let me go on from that. Mm. I'm I'm fascinated by your emphasis on using art to communicate, to use it as a therapy, um, to also um, exhibit the works of your your um, the kids that you work with, um, like, and also art um, as a form of expression. You, you're interested in both the visual arts, but also martial arts as well. Um, like, how do you think art is a, how does art work as a therapy? I think, uh, so as far as, what's this expression skill? I mean, we had a conversation about a basic skill. So everything, you know, revolves around a skill, whether it's going to be martial arts or painting, anything, you know, you have your basic skills. And I think it might be any everything is art. It's just about how much you do with those skills. So whether it's you know uh, learning to kick, how many, how much you practice. You know, Bruce Lee has that that quote about. Have you ever heard Bruce Lee's quote about? I'm more afraid of a man who practice one kick a million times than a man who practice a million kicks or something like something along that line. Yeah, right. So, so it's like you know once you 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 learn how to kick so well, how do you, how do you do that kick that no one's ever seen before? How do you get that flexibility, or how do you, how do you, how do you get that speed? And the, the speed and physicality is a basic thing. You know, but how do you think out of the box? So, so with martial arts and art in general, one one it provides uh, uh, a skill set for kids. So you know, so we're looking at tiers. One one every every workshop we do, we try to think in a in a development of tier or a phase. So let's say phase one, they're with us for what's one hour, two hours. They're not doing anything bad. They're not out there doing drugs, selling their body. Two, are they you know getting any enjoyment from it? You know, 
are they happy? Are they afraid of a happy? Three is like skills. So are they learning to kick? Are they learning to paint? Are they learning to, to take pictures? Four is maybe a job. A job as in like working in, you know, in, a, in an art store or working in a more time gym. The final phase, five, is actually an occupation. Can, can they transfer that over their skill level to the level where they can be a professional? So everything we, we know that. So it can be anything, literally. It can be like weaving. We do indigo dyeing, we do some of these things. And it's based off of uh, volunteers and the workshops and the passion that comes with the volunteers. That's really important. Mm. I've heard that in order to understand something on a profound level, one needs to act it out through their body language and through their body and feel something before they can completely understand the concept of something. So for me, like using art and or the body to to express and to understand things basic things that are important in life is like a very interesting way of, of figure thing, figuring things out. Um, so now, right now you're in the art space of, of Broccoli Revolution, which is um, a restaurant, a vegan restaurant that you are a partner in. Um, tell me about the Broccoli Revolution and this space that you're in right now. So, uh, Broccoli Revolution was started about four years ago. So, so my business partner and I, so she was very interested in, in uh, juices, organic juices, and, and eat plant based just you know, for, for, for your body and for the environment. And we discussed, uh, we discussed when we came, when she came up to me, you know, we actually found that opposite you know, and, and The thing about Sati that I've always thought about is, I don't want it to be the traditional nonprofit where we're just asking for donations. You know, it's, it's, I don't feel like that's a sustainable model. Like, how do how do we you know how do we like people? It shouldn't it shouldn't be one way. It shouldn't be like, hey, give me money and then we're gonna go out and do something with it. I just feel that people are used to interactions, both human interactions and whether it's monetary or any type of medium. So, so the my long term goal for Sadi was always how do we develop a model where there's like services, whether it's food or art or stuff, where people get something, but they're also giving back. So when the opportunity for broccoli came up, you know, we, we discuss, uh, discussed it with her, and she's like, oh, you know, yeah, she's really interested in the social aspect of how we can, you know, it's a clear cut, you know, reducing, reducing consumption. You know, so broccoli is not, it's not just plant-based, but we don't use any processed food, you know, we work with our local farmers. So the concept of broccoli is I would call it, a, I call it a socially conscious business. Which is different from like a social enterprise. And social enterprise is is a, is, a, is an enterprise with a monetary value. So besides, I think it's it's easy to not easy, but you can donate money, but you can go as a business owner, you can go beyond that. So at Rockley, being social conscious means like you have uh, you know where your supplies come from. So uh, our, our, uh, we do a mushroom program with Sabi, where the kids in uh, Ching Lai up north give us germs, mushroom germs. And then the center that we work in Kuala Lumpur for the at-risk use. They grow mushrooms and broccoli buzzing for them. So it's like trying to, how do you buy, how do you build that circular economy? How do you build that pond? Mm. The coffee is another nonprofit that works in Chiang Mai. Uh, they support tribes up there. Uh, you know, we work mostly small farms. Small farms are more expensive and hard to transport. Pay money to people, how, how do we how do we build that ecosystem? Uh, the cold press juices, you know, green juices, nine bottles of every glass was just a beef. So, uh, you know, it's not a huge amount of money, but 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 one of my goals with running the nonprofit is how do we build sustainability? It's it's not money that's a lot, but it's money that's always coming in. So when you know that money's coming in, that's how you you plan your budget. You yes. know, the big thing of it is how do I uh, plan my budget? How do we 
think it's sustainable. How do you sustain? Like really sustain? You know, sustainability is such a buzzword now, but but how do you how do you sustain? How do you how do you go into a community and be like, okay, here's here's a water system, here's a but but you know what's after that? You know, are you gonna what happened to the money you used to buy water with? You know, are you gonna what are you gonna do with that? If they can't answer that question, we don't build the water system for them. You know, like they have to be able to answer that question. Of what what how what is I'm doing my part? How are you gonna do your part? So that's like to me that's what sustainability. So broccoli is is, is uh, one model. You know we have three locations now. Right now with COVID, we actually have only one location open. Uh, the other two are closed right now. Um, you know everything everybody's been the uh, food and beverage industry has been flipped upside down like most industries. It's uh it's, it's yeah it's pretty rough right yeah. now. But uh, yeah, and then on the second floor we have uh, another entity. It's called Kate Space. It's a uh, it's a uh, probably creative space. I don't like to use the word art gallery because it has this kind of like posh, like, like yeah, highbrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because in Thailand it's still quite highbrow, and we our goal is to get everybody to come in. Yeah. And the moment you make it that like that, really catering to like a small group of people. Yeah. And ever since we've been open, you know, we've been quite lucky. Like we have so many different types of people, from fashion to art to students to customers to just everybody coming in. And the goal is to to develop a creative space. Uh, you know, we have commercial art, commercial artists, most, uh, mostly local Thai artists, or artists in the region. Yeah, when they sell art, five percent of the profit goes to Spain. So that's kind of like the artists and the people buying it to give back. But we also have so many art programs for our students to be photography and stuff like that. So, so we show their work too. And that work, if it's their work, they're hundred percent in that. Whether it's a scholarship program or a health program, whatever we can develop for that. So it's very nice. It's a nice. Yeah, such a high vibe, high vibe atmosphere. I think kids are the most creative, un, oh, yeah. unha like untamed mind basically. Like kids have the most like interesting thoughts and have the most interesting perspective on the world. Um, touching on the COVID situation, that brings me to your other very recent, very fastly, very quickly put together project. COVID Relief Bangkok that you were able to put together because of your network of, of other nonprofits and you're just your your real like you know you've got your feelers out in the local community so you were able to respond very very fast probably more fast than the government one would might say um, yeah give us a rundown on on what that what that project is and who are Thailand's most vulnerable communities right now? Yeah, it was kind of like, a, you know, obviously it was just very, it couldn't be, it wasn't planned ahead because obviously it couldn't be planned ahead. But, but uh, you know, so the, it was you know, happening in March, the big COVID outbreak here was around in March, you know, all over the world. And, and so the, we have, you know, we have a monthly project. So we had, uh, we had, uh, we were going to start um, training in, occupational training in detention centers for youths. We had a, a sustainable dorm we were building their homes on the villagers. We had all these projects, and it all started to get canceled. Like, when, you know, schools are closing, detention centers are closing. And, and the initial thought was, okay, maybe we'll, we'll wait it out. But then, like, it was becoming really, really clear that, that it's not something that we would wait out. I mean, by the hour, it was getting, like, people were, you know. And, and um, so I started to think, like, you know, what, what is Besides working with the youth, we also, we also you know, work with systems sustainability. How do we develop a long-term plan and develop a sustainability? Like when we develop, uh, when we develop the schools and the villages, how do, how do we think, what's that thought process? And, and also just connecting, we have a lot of good network of uh, um, grassroots NGOs or bigger NGOs that, that you know, support us and work together. So um, 
One of my other projects is uh, now a cafe inside Bangkok 1899, which is a cultural hub. Um, it's a, you know, it's 1899 because that's where the house was built, so it's a quite oh, beautiful. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> and, and we have a, a social, I run a, we run a social impact cafe in there. So in that cafe, we have a job training for our kids in the nonprofit. Uh, we, we have uh, you know, barista training, chef training. We also, so I call it a social impact uh, platform almost because it looks like a cafe, but we, we use it, you know, food, we use food and beverage as a platform. So we work with other nonprofits classically. You know, we do our project in Bangkok 1899. Uh, we work with Asylum which is uh, they work with uh, impossible for urban refugees. So refugees come in Thailand. So we do lightning programs with them. So we, we we were doing once a month. Uh, uh, I don't want to I don't want to say chef table, but we call it family tables. So an uh, urban refugee family would come and cook, you know, and, and people would come and eat, and then we would kind of break bread with them. So we sit together, and we, it's just about people connecting. Wow. Uh, we do those programs. There, yeah, so mu there must be market. some like delicious food there, like with some really OG yeah. recipes. So we've had so far we've had Pakistan, Afghanistan, Somalia, uh, Vietnamese, and Sri Lankan. Wow. Yeah. So 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 many different types of foods, and the food's amazing. Uh, so we're actually we're, I'm actually planning a new model. So next month we're going to launch a new model because you can't you can't have people come and congregate. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do the same process, but it's going to be pre-ordered delivery. Nice. So I'll be like, okay, uh, the plan for the month of June is every week, uh, every Saturday in the month of June, we'll have a different family. And then, oh, that's right. Like, hey, this week, yeah, and then we, you know, we have a set of people, and then we, we want to deliver to you as a, a set family dinner. And, this, and the money always you know, goes to support these families, you know. So wow. these families, I've met so many amazing families, and they're just, you know. I'm the definitely going to be ordering that. Okay, I'll send you all the info. We just had a tasting on Saturday. Oh, nice. So, so, so with Na, uh, Na Cafe, um, it's in Bangkok 1899, but the whole area actually in the back, so the whole the back is called Freck, uh, Ford Research and Education Center, which is sponsored uh, by the Ford, by the Ford Motor Company. And it's amazing. So what they've done is they, they, they rented this big building, which is a school. It's been closed for a while, and they've made it a hub for nonprofits and organizations, like social enterprise and nonprofits. So you have SOS there, um, which I'll tell you about in a second. And there's Urban Studies Lab, there's Nature Inc., there's Precious Plastics, there's a 3D lab. There's all these amazing organizations that have all these different specialties that we use in so, so when COVID happens, you know, we've been back in COVID, we're like, okay, um, what if, you know, it's an emergency, you know, emergency as far as people. I was hearing stories about people in the community who, who who they were starting to start because in Thailand, such a large group of people live off of daily wages. So, so you know, let's say they they go to the market in the morning, buy greens, and they use those ingredients to make noodles. And the profit they make from those noodles is what they use to go buy the food. Mm -hmm. Or there'll be uh, garbage collectors, where they'll, you know, they'll go around and collect that, and that money they make, they'll use that to buy the food. So, there's so many daily, daily, daily wage barriers. So, when all this happened, uh, first of all, the lifeline was cut off because people are quarantined and people are now buying stuff. Secondly, people don't have savings. So mm -hmm. it started to be like, hey, you know, what, you know, we need rights, we need food. So we, we started uh, the Project is a Living Project. So um, I contacted uh, Urban Studies Lab, which is part of our community, in fact. They, they do uh, uh, data. So they, they work with community development, so urban studies. So they know, uh, they get information from the BMA and they so for the most income board and the most help in the elderly, we made a map of Bangkok. So that map is um, our direction. So we're like, okay, this, you know, right now we have a three-month plan and then we have a six-month plan. So right now with the three-month plan, we have several uh, districts plotted out with the highest density, low income, and elderly. That's how we know where to go every week. But the next part of the puzzle is like, you know, distribution, like how do we 
you know, these people need food, have, you know, we need cars, we need all that stuff. We have another nonprofit that, that is part of Frank is called uh, SOS, Scholars of Sustenance. So they, they're a nonprofit that they work with food surplus. So they, what they usually do is they work with hotels, supermarkets, and they collect the food surplus, and, which is food that's still good, just can't be sold, and they, and they donate to one book. So they have, they have like six trucks. They have a refrigerated truck, they have a logistics team, you know, they have a kitchen, so, so boom, you know, pull that in. And then uh, we started with, okay, the, the most immediate trouble is the meat part. So we, have, we do the meat pack. So the meat pack consists of two main things. And they take off gels. And then the other part is dry food. So canned fish, uh, five kgs of rice, soy milk, and canned food. So this is like the one pack. If it's one individual, it's about 30 meals. If it's a uh, family of four, it's about one week. So, so we've been uh, distributing. We're now covering over 1,200 families a week. So I just did the numbers this, uh, this morning. Uh, after this week, we will have given out 978,000 meals Yay. in two months. So That's in about great. a week, we'll have covered up. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't, you know, I didn't have an idea that like, it was so bad. So 1 million meals in two months, about two months, which, uh, which, which, uh, it's a lot, but it's not only that, but it's still, we still, there's still a lot of help we did, you know. So, so now we're, we're starting to plan phase two. So what phase two means is that, um, so we collect, we have to collect data. So, so we have the data we have is a broad data. It's data, but it's distributing well, but every time we go to a community, um, when you're asking, uh, we work with another partners to help volunteers in each district. So a big concern with all this is when it all started. Uh, normally, you know, we would, normally at Nana Cafe, we run uh, once a month soup kitchen as well. Soup kitchen for, for urban refugees. So refugees come in and, and we have different restaurants. And God is one of our biggest supporters. The whole team will come and make food. And it's like, picture with food, you know, it's amazing. And they'll come make food and hang out with their families. So my, you know, the easiest way to, to, to work with all these, you know, communities would be, hey, let's just make some, you know, let's get all these people together. But, but with COVID, that's awesome, you know. Mm. We, have, we have to distance, but we have to distance. So when you have to distance and you have to distribute, how do, how do you make sure you get to the most immediate communities, you know, So our, our, we were lucky to have, a, so each district has a health office. So within the health office, they have health volunteers. And the health volunteers are situated in the communities, and the people live in the community. So every district we go to, we go with the health office, and they have, have the health volunteers. And the health volunteers is that's like, what, 20 volunteers, you might say 15 to 20 families. So they know which families need the most help. And by doing that, we, if you see our relief pack, we have a, we'll have a QR code on it. So the people get the food, they, have to, they scan the QR code, and that way we collect data. And we'll send out surveys like, you know, how long have, are you working now? If not, how long have you left your job? What are your biggest needs? And, and a lot of what we've been hearing back from is, is that there's an issue with mental health, you know, people getting stressed, and there's feedback from the health volunteers. So, so our second second phase project that we've started is uh, it's called Mental Health First Aid. So we've so we've been uh, getting we have a lot of advisors. We have the director of the National Suicide Prevention in Thailand as the advisor. We have several, several uh, health experts advising. So we've started a, a, a simple program where we, uh, we this is our second week. So we've been training the, the health volunteers from each district we go to. So they come in and it's like basic listening skills, uh, which is very important because uh, we a very important thing is not to build hope with false. Well, you know, we didn't have this, it's going to get better. You know, it's, it's not going to get better, it's going to be different. Yeah. It might, I don't think the new world it might be better, it could be worse, but it's, it's not going to be what we used to. So it's important, not in a morbid sense, but in, in a reality sense, to let people know that 
uh, as, as, as a support system, it's just two important things. One, to not build that false hope, and two, to be a supportive system. You know? So when these people come to you as a mental health advisor or as a health advisor and they say, you know, I just lost my job, this and that, like, you have, you know, it's important to give these people support. You know, and then, because then you're going to start hear, hearing about different stuff, like suicide rates and all this other stuff that are just kind of compiling. So that's part of two, and we hope to scale as many districts as we can. Another part of phase two, I'm sorry, it's really long with this, but uh, the, other, the other part of phase two is uh, um, community kitchens. So we partner with CODI, which is Community Organization Development Institute, which is a, a government sector. But what they do is they, they, they've started this program of 20 community kitchens. So they, they've helped them start this kitchens where hot kitchens or soup kitchens where people can really make food and they donate to their community. So it, it's a very grassroots start and they do about once a week. But we went in and we were like, okay, how do we, how do we provide more precaution? How do we do sanitation? How do we do distancing? How do we do COVID-19 prevention? And also, how do we scale it? You know, we can get SOS ingredients. How we can bring in chefs to help recommend nutrition. Uh, we can help with job development. Maybe we can, you know, get enough funding where we can hire. So right now it's once a week. I'd like to expand it to three times a week. Because that's what they usually do. They do about 500 families, uh, 500 meals per day. So if you can type that 500 times three times 20 kitchens and how many more kitchens we want to expand, and, you know, we're, we're covering more people need. And they know best who needs to help because they're in the community. So uh, that's part of the phase, and then we want to do job building. So let's say, let's say uh, things start to get better. Maybe we decrease the soup kitchen the one day a week, and then the other day, she leaves your seven. Selling the recipes or selling their box food, you a communal grab, you get a little cycle there, you know, your own developer own like delivery system. And, and we help we help them figure out what's after this. You know, maybe the people that we didn't know how to cook before, they can be the sous chefs and they can learn skills from the chefs. Uh, we can do urban gardens, we can own urban gardens, aquaponics, uh, organic chicken, steaks, whatever, whatever point works with, with the land. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's something I'm excited about, is to second phase, because the relief still has to go on. You know, the relief has to be there, but we have to think beyond relief, you know? Because you can't just think about relief for the rest of your life. Like, how do, if people are starting to feel better, how do, how do, we, how do we help them? Yeah, that, you, you know? need to equip people with the mental and, and mental tools to, uh, organizing their life and being able to act out um, the big change and be able to find new sources of, sources of income, diversify their sources of income and be adaptive, which is, which I think um, right now with the, the fear and the mental, the psychological effects of, you know, public panic and isolation, people are feeling very paralyzed right now. So, yeah, it seems like you're, you're really addressing some things. jobs are going to be lost forever. Like some, some people are not going to get their Absolutely. jobs. Absolutely. Like this is more factories are closing, you know, restaurants are closing. So, so the goal might not necessarily be to find the same job, but the goal might be to find a new skill, you know, mm. which is difficult. That's where you have to start. So, what you're going to do is either to a migrant worker. Because, you know, migrant workers, they're, they're, they, you know, they have the least amount of, they don't have health care, they have the least amount of resources, you know, so they get the least amount of pay, so, so they're, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling, so, so we try to, we code with several, we have several partners that they work in that sector, so they just provide the information to communities and we can kind of partner from there, so, um, you know, it's that, I'm happy to be able to find those partners, and then the other group is just unregistered communities, and communities just aren't in the map, so we scaled up to that too as well, yeah. Yeah, I think um, 
worldwide, like the whole pandemic has really unveiled um, all the cracks in the pavement that were already existing um, in government and in in um, our economy and in our social security systems, um, whether they be um, you know guerrilla systems or or um, or systems set up by the government. Um, what do you see in the long term, in the short term, and in the long term in Thailand? Do you see how long do you think this will take to to see any kind of change? I think uh, globally it will take like about a, a like a year or two, like two years. But I think Thailand could be it could be a little faster, not by much, you know, maybe by months. But mm. the Thai people seem to, to react uh, to react pretty fast, one. And then also I think we've been really lucky with the, the low amount of cases. And every day it seems to be I think there was like zero cases yesterday from that. So so the fact Zero in zero or three? In a very low number. Yeah, three or something. Yeah. It's like a very so so uh, we've been very lucky with that. So because of that, that we might have an opportunity to recover faster. Mm -hmm. But but the thing is, the it's a global impact. So so we may be physically able to recover faster, and some businesses may be recover, but businesses can work on a global scale. Like anything has to do with tourism, like that. Yeah. I don't know. That's going to open up. So that you know, that's a huge part of like Thailand tourism. Yeah. Well, and one then, one uh, thing that I've noticed is that like Thai corporations, like the big you know, top five corporations, um, have have really put money back into um, into investing into things like mass factories, like CP, um, put money into mass factories. These are corporations that have been time and time again like pulled up by the media for their like unethical practices and like abuse of human rights. But uh, I feel like Thai, Thai Corporation has seen that if they don't invest into the economy again, we're pretty screwed as a whole. Um, that, gives, that brings me to like the Thai government's reaction to the whole pandemic. Like what do you think about how how the Thai government has reacted. I think it's been tricky just because it's so new. Yeah. You know? Like even the WHO is making a stage, you know, like they're saying wear mask, don't wear mask. It's like it's such something that's so new. And and I think Thailand in general, Thailand in general, so the government are quite uh, receptive to the to public image. Because you know, like if 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 there's too much bad bad press, mm. I guess the word is so I um, uh, I think uh, it just shows the lack of a, like a lot of the, you know with the financial part and just giving out the money. It shows the lack of a system, but but it's not necessarily a system that was developed by this government. It's a system that's always been bad, you know. Mm. So they have to give up five thousand. It's so difficult to fill out the form. It's hard to track. And so so it shows that a huge exactly. I I it's hard for me to say the good things and bad things and everything stuff because another another with governments, I think the Thai governments, is they're not necessarily good at, at uh, telling you what they're doing. Yeah. So, so there's been times in the past where I'm like, you know what, why doing anything, or they're not doing this. Now, I'll speak to somebody who actually works directly in that field, whether it's like solar energy, but it's that. Like, you know, actually, there's this type of now where you can open solar uh, energy farm, and you can do this, and you can do 
I'm like, oh wow, that's really interesting. I've never heard about that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, you know, so there's certain things that would, I think this goes for every government. Um, they, they can always do better. Absolutely. But but it can only can always be worse. And 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 I'm not a big politics. I, I choose to stay out of politics. Yeah. Which I, I always I, which is a weird word because uh, we're getting into a different topic. But time, uh, I think politics is in time blood. Like we, we live in a very like it's a kind of a, a tangent, but um, I was asked, I, I, kids you get asked, oh, you want to go to politics? You know, in politics. You know, and, and then when I recently someone was like asking that same question, they're like, well, you know what you're doing in this topic is kind of politics because when we do, when I go to go, we have to work with communities, I have to work with districts, I have to work with government, I have to work with private sector. So, so it's like it's about how, how you how you move through. Yeah, but your approach is very different. Your approach is much more. Um, based on human fundamentals, like it's much more based on your Buddhist um, kind of yeah. thought thought process of um, mindfulness and focusing on the self before be, being able to um, help. Uh, you know, starting from within to help, and I think that's very interesting because. Southeast Asia has been proven to be a very surprisingly resilient region um, in terms of being affected by the, like literally being infected by um, the COVID-19 virus. But part of me, part of me questions whether it's to do with like a very high Buddhist population, very high percentage of Buddhists in the population of Thailand, for example, and this kind of idea of helping one another it's a very it's not as it's a very anti-selfish um mentality not to say that there aren't selfish people within the population but this idea of helping one another doing if you have a bit of extra donating to the temple like keeping keeping the community alive from the ground up and and doing what you can to tambun which is like make merit in in the society like and that's a very you've taken that approach to your sati um, project, which is the the word comes from Pali, right? Tell tell me a bit about the, the yeah. name. Yeah. So sati means mindfulness. So it's a Buddhist part. Well, mindfulness seems to be the closest definition I can find, but you know, it's 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 it's, it's around it. So basically, um, uh, not 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 any other NGOs or any other process, but I think that we become creatures of. of uh, Systems, mm. which which it's a good thing because I believe in you know having a systematic process, but also uh, it's like a difference between planning and strategizing. So like I like to play chess because but because it's a strategy game and it's not a planning game, you know. So let's say plans. There's always what's up where like phrase plans are made to be broken, and if you think about it, if you have a plan, usually they don't. Think about a strategy is a strategy comes out like it's a big picture, so you know what your goal is. Your goal is to help a million kids, or you know, or sell a million juices. But that's the strategy part. But the plan comes. What is the plan to reach that? You know, mm-hmm. the plan always changes, but your end goal doesn't change. So, so it's simply like you know, um, I didn't we I didn't want it to be a nonprofit where we're just thinking about. Uh, hey, let's get a million bottles, let's get a million bank kids, let's do a million water systems and give it out to a million kids. I wanted the, the communities and the kids to be the ones to, to tell us what the problems were. Mm. So the first goal is to be mindful of that scenario, the problems. Where, where are the problems coming from? 
how do they exist? Are we creating more problems? Yeah. Mm. And uh, the second part is linking that. So okay, let's say we go um, we go to a village. You know, each village has different issues. One can be water, clean water. One can be food. So so they rather than bring one plan to cover everybody, we have to let them lead. So we use that as a goal, and then we, from there we can work backwards. So. Mm. so yeah, I've heard because I've heard you voice that um, you have a problem with kind of the old establishment form of large non-profit organizations and the way that works. And to me, having not being being someone directly in the non-profit world, from my perspective, a lot of foreign aid programs are basically foreign cultures coming into a place and putting their own cultural values and onto onto a place instead of really like your approach is uh, coming from a very mindful approach of listening and building from the ground up using that very community to help themselves basically um, which is a very different approach. I like, like I said, I, want, I don't really want to like say okay, other than profits, but let's say a system has been developed where I, I, I've gone to places up north and, and there'll be schools that like have a non-profit work to visit them like every three months, six months to give them this to give that. We've just developed a dependent system mm. of hey, you know, one, we're gonna wait for that stuff, and two, these kids are gonna think that they're less mm. of a person, you know. Or I need help. You know, we shouldn't develop that mentality. We we should let them realize that they can be anybody they want. Yeah. That's what this this has become such a system of like. Yeah. But everybody, but it's starting with a group that you know yeah. they mean well. It's not like they all mean well. It's yes, not like they control these kids. It's never yeah. good. It's never like it just there's there's certain consequences that can affect this just certain things. Yeah, there are there are big consequences. yeah there are big consequences on on not understanding a culture for, from a profound level like and me you and I both have have lived in two different cultures like um, you in the states and in Thailand me in Thailand and in Australia and we know very well that there are so many profound cultural differences between um, every country that and it shows in in every country's reaction to the the covid um issue of how they've how they've gone about um you know imposing other other countries um restrictions and and how that doesn't work with many different cultures but i think the most important thing is to just listen to people and and spend time with people and and you will only know how to how to empower people by by just yeah listening well look that was really fun, Sax. Um, thank you so much for like sh- spending time, spending time with me, and spending time with the audience of sharing about what you've been doing. A lot of people are feeling very helpless right now, wanting to help but just not knowing how to help. And I think you've you've probably given us some very inspiring ideas on how we how everyone can probably go about. Um, just starting on a small scale and helping within their their direct community, Um, whether that be like, you know, 
starting helping their their neighbors starting with their neighbors basically and just starting from small and and taking baby steps to how just that power can expand you know yeah absolutely and we're always looking about the bigger picture you know the bigger picture is going to be there well how how to how do people like follow what you've been all the things that you've been doing I guess uh, social media, you know, we live in the uh, era of social media. Social media, and social media is also free marketing, obviously. So, so there's uh, the best way is through social media. So first, there's uh, there's a thief. So thief has a, a, a Instagram, so it's a thief found. Uh, Instagram we have a uh, Facebook page, that's a thief nonprofit. Uh, and then there's Broccoli Revolution, you can find both on Instagram and Facebook. There's uh, now projects that you, uh, you can find both on Instagram and Facebook. And then there's also COVID Relief Bangkok. Over the UK, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. So, yeah, so anything you're interested in, you can pop and take a look. Well, really, pre- <laughs> really appreciate sharing <laughs> your perspective on the world with us today. Um, stay safe and keep in touch, man. Thank you for having me. It's fun. No Bye, everybody.